Yeah, what they're doing is they basically have these schemes. They probably are starting to do uh, Honda Civic ETFs, you know, so you could buy a Honda, but you think you own it, but they sold 50 Honda Civics to one. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, we're talking about generators, not, not, Honda, not Honda Civics. Hey, everybody, this is Tim Pachota, Liberty Advisor, joined with John Snice and the Economic Truth. And we are here today for Tim and John Show, episode number 45. Uh, it just came out that it looks like uh, the SEC is going to approve or finally approve a Bitcoin ETF. They had some hints on their uh, Twitter feed the other day that basically insinuated that they're going to approve a futures ETF. And that's really no surprise because a futures ETF is probably the dumbest effing way you could possibly do it. So of course, that's the way that, that the uh, you know, SEC would uh, you know, go about approving this. So here we go. We got their tweet from the other day saying, before investing in a fund that holds Bitcoin futures contracts, make sure you carefully weigh the potential risk and benefit. Check out our investor bulletin to learn more. Now, off the backs of that news, we have you know Bitcoin just going you know on a absolute tear right now. It's just under sixty-two thousand dollars right now as we speak. You guys can see you know at Coin three hundred and sixty for those of you who are watching uh, you know the video. You can see that you know it's been you know a great day in the crypto markets as a whole. And for those of you who you know, are watching us, you know, on YouTube, you know, make sure you're watching this in other places because, you know, YouTube is, uh, you know, miraculously enough, I, I don't think our viewer account has moved one viewer up or down since the winter time. It's been stuck at 2,970 for absolute months and months and months. You know, that doesn't seem suspicious at all. So head over to timandjohnshow.com. There you can find links to join our email list, uh, join our discord, you know, get an odyssey, bit you, And of course, uh, you know, audio podcasts. And, you know, I don't really expect, you know, because I'm not really one to self-censor. I did self-censor right there, the F word. But you know what? Oh, well, you know what? I'm sure there'll be some other F words that'll be coming out later on. So, <laughs> but anyways, you know, getting back to the, uh, to the Bitcoin, you know, ETF, this is not an ETF that actually holds Bitcoin. And so for years and years and years, about the last seven years, there's been numerous companies out there like Vanek and I think ProShares and, uh, you know, Galaxy, you know, several other ones. I think even Goldman Sachs is trying to get into it now. You've got, um, you know, Kathy Wood and her ARC funds are getting into it as well. Um, and so, of course, they're trying to approve a futures version of this. And what the futures version of this means is that they're going to own contracts that have the right to buy Bitcoin but not actually owning Bitcoin. So they're owning a derivative of Bitcoin. And then so like every month they're going to have to roll these over. And so, you know, that's really bad for investors because there's a huge embedded, you know, co internal cost to that, that the investor doesn't necessarily like necessarily see. But, you know, if you have to keep rolling these contracts over, I mean, I'm just taking a guess. I mean, just based off the volatility of Bitcoin, I mean, it could be like an embedded cost of like 10% a month or something. I'm just, you know, making this up because obviously the Bitcoin ETF doesn't exist right now. But if you have to, but I mean, that would be like 100% a year. I mean, type extra fees layered into here, just having to roll this thing over month to month to month. Like, why can't they just approve one that they own the Bitcoin? Well, I'll tell you why, because Gary Gensler was the former head of the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. So here we have Gary Gensler, uh, you know, who is now the current uh, SEC chairman. But, oh, he taught a class on crypto at MIT. So he's a big friend of the crypto community. I see down here that he was yeah, right. Well, I did see here he was awarded the I didn't even know this was an award. The Treasury's highest honor, the Alexander Hamilton Award. Well, you know, Alexander Hamilton was a complete piece of shit that basically is the one who got us on, 
you know, all the, you know, central banking to begin with, there was, you know, big battles, you know, way back in the day of, you know, whether or not they should have central banks. And so he was a big proponent of the first, uh, you know, central bank in America, which I believe is called the, the first, it wasn't Bank of America, but it was, it was the first central bank in the United States, something like that. Maybe Arthur Diamond Hands can go review that in the background while I'm uh, stumbling on this. But, you know, there was the first one that charter ran out in 1812. And then what happened in 1812? Well, the British came over here, the British openly owned it, and they came here and burned down the fucking White House. Not because, not from the story you read in, in the, in, you know, in your whatever fake news history class of why uh, the War of 1812 happened, but it, it happened because they lost control of the money because they didn't care who makes the laws. They could, they cared who makes the money. And that's why you had, you know, Lord Nathan Rothschild actually say, I care not who makes the laws. I care who controls the money and I control the money. Well, at that point, they didn't control the money anymore. Then you had a second central bank of America and it was Andrew Jackson, who's the one that got rid of that. And then you had two guys that went up, you know, or one guy went up with two guns, both the guns misfired point blank and, uh, you know, didn't, and Andrew Jackson, you know, didn't die from that. And they said it was wealthy Europeans that put him up to this and we could keep going on and on and on. I mean, we just had Geo Griffin on. So if you guys are watching this on YouTube, that interview is not on YouTube. So make sure you head to Tim and John Show com find all the different ways that you guys can see that yeah so i mean basically he's the guy that you know probably helped you know get fractional reserve banking in there and you know with gary gensler being a yeah, former it's actually called a fractional by the way 1863 it was one of the central banks here it's a pretty funny yeah. And so, I mean, if going back to the 18, I mean, that was right around the time of Lincoln and Lincoln said, I've got an army in front of me. That's the South and the army of at my rear, which is the European bankers. And I far more fear the army at my rear, uh, you know, and, and again, I mean, there's, you know, a lot of BS with, you know, what really went on with Lincoln and the civil war and all that. I mean, that could be a whole, you know, episode, you know, unto itself, but, you know, going well, back actually, to. Yeah. Actually what was funny around there too. The greenback was pushed as if you don't use the greenback, you're not a patriot, <laughs> by the way. It was very, uh, uh, very funny around that time as well. You're either with us or with the terrorists. Uh, so then you go over to, uh, you know, continuing on with um, Gary Gensler. So his former boss was John Corzine. John Corzine was the uh, former head of MF Global. Uh, they had a very cozy relationship together. They both worked at uh, Goldman Sachs. John Corzine was his boss. And then he went on to become, I believe, a senator in New Jersey, then the governor of New Jersey after, which I don't know what's a more, I mean, probably the, the CEO of Goldman Sachs is more of a prestigious job. And I think, I'm pretty sure he was the CEO of Goldman Sachs, but whatever and that maybe uh, Arthur Dimehans could fact check that one too, if he was the CEO of Goldman or not. But uh, what had happened is nothing happened because uh, he basically Corzine. I'm just, I'm just doing this off memory, but basically he took uh, the, the, his firm MF Global. So maybe it stands for like motherfucking you or something. But MF Global, what they did, actually, I don't know what it, what it stands for. But MF Global, what they did is they were betting on uh, these distressed European bonds, like mainly Greece, and that the, the Greek bonds would get bailed out and rallied. Yeah, well, anyways, that's how Cyprus banks banks failed too. Like whole of Cyprus collapsed. The same scam that he was involved in. Yeah. And so anyways, like it didn't, uh, you know, get saved in time. And so his fund was going to go belly up. And then he took, you know, people's gold that was in segregated accounts and then like shifted it over and actually lots of assets shifted it over to basically save the firm. And I guess they had some sort of legalese where they could do that. But, you know, if any other advisor or someone were to do that, like if I were to do that, I'd be in jail. And so, you know, this guy doesn't even get a perp block, doesn't even get, you know, really a slap on the wrist. And, uh, 
you know, it's just, you know, a shame. And, and who was, you know, the one of the chief guys that would have gotten that guy in trouble is Gary Gensler. And now he's winning the Alexander Hamilton award and acting like he's a friend of crypto and saying, oh yeah, we can have a Bitcoin ETF, but it's going to be based off futures, which like I just mentioned is the dumbest way possible. Uh, so Arthur, did you find any oh, look of the up what happened to gold and silver, you know, like with futures that turned out pretty well, hasn't it? <laughs> That's pretty much what I was thinking that the, they're going to institute a futures market so they can game it. They'll they'll use their wealth to to they'll place futures contracts in the upward direction, then buy the price of the instrument up, cash their futures in, and then take futures going in the down direction and then dump. So they, they don't care if they're making money necessarily off of the Bitcoin trades. They just want to push the price around and then make money in the futures market because they can they can sort of predict the price if they have enough money to move it to where they want it to be on a certain date. Yeah, and they could create unlimited amounts of uh, you know contracts like they have right. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they're especially if they're cash settled. Like that was another question I had. We were discussing this. Are so these new ETFs? Are any of these? going to actually be settled in bitcoin or are they no, still just cash not. settled yeah um, right. i'm not not a big fan of it yeah it is, and a lot of people think that it's really the you know gold and silver etfs that really lead to the manipulation and to me it's really not so much that as, as much as it's the futures market where they really manipulate things uh yeah and and so it's so of course right. now they're basically trying to do the same bullshit they do with gold and silver onto Bitcoin. And it's just the dumbest way possible to launch one of these products. I mean, it's much safer just buying it and holding it. And, you know, and we came out with podcasts. I mean, I started a crypto wealth show after everything co collapsed in 2018. I left a very, you know, good paying job in 2018, uh, you know, to really focus things on crypto when crypto was, you know, sort of at its worst of, you know, after that bull market. And so, you know, a lot of, you know, other advisors and people jump, actually not a lot of other advisors, but a lot of people jumping on the bandwagon when, you know, it's, you know, it's already, you know, basically proved itself, but, you know, we were there, you know, before it proved itself. And, um, and at this point, I mean, it's not going anywhere and I'm sort of skipping around of what I wanted to talk about, but one person that also doesn't think it's going away is actually Vladimir Putin. I know uh, John could do some good. Vlad! Ah, vodki, Putin! Ah, Now, it looks like this is Morgan Stanley's CEO, not Putin saying this, but I don't think crypto is a fad. I don't think it's going to go away. I don't know what the value of Bitcoin should or shouldn't be. These things aren't going away. And then you've got Russian President Vladimir Putin further rattled American financial officials after hinting that while he considers cryptocurrency crude and underdeveloped, it could someday be used instead of the US dollar to trade with. The Russian president discussed potential use cases of cryptocurrencies in a Thursday CNBC interview. That's pretty crazy that he's on CNBC. Following a plenary session of the Russian Energy Week forum, don't even know what that word means, plenary. Uh, I believe that it has value, Putin told CNBS, I mean CNBC, at the Russian Energy Week event in Moscow on Wednesday when asked whether Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies can be used in place of the US dollar. But I don't believe it can be used in the oil trade. According to interviews at Kremlin officials' website, Putin said that private cryptocurrencies can act as a unit of account, but they are very unstable. Cryptocurrency oil contracts? It's too early to talk about it. It works for transferring funds from one place to another, but in terms of trading, especially when it comes to energy resources, it is still premature in my opinion, the president stated. And Putin also goes on to say that it's possible that crypto could simply be a means of accumulation. 
And then also goes on to say it's tantamount to brandishing an economic weapon. Uh, actually, he's right now he's talking about the dollar's dominance and saying that the dollar is basically an economic weapon. And, you know, essentially, you know, if, if there's problems, if you know the U.S., is in a state where they can then sanction other people and use their monetary system to sanction other people, then, you know, other governments would then, you know, behoove them to get off that standard. Um, And so I believe that the U S makes a huge mistake in using the dollar as a sanction instrument. Putin said, we are forced. We have no other choice, but to move to transactions and other currencies, global reset. In this regard, we can say the United States bites the hand that feeds it. The world leader added, the dollar is a competitive advantage. It is universal reserve currency in the United States today uses it to pursue political goals and they harm their strategic and economic interests as a result. I mean, he's hundred percent spot on with that. We aren't, I mean, I mean, that's just because we're obviously Russian agents over here. We aren't intended. We are sorry. We aren't interested in cutting off dollar payments completely. And we are so far satisfied with payments for energy resources and dollars, primarily for oil. He added, Finally, I mean, I think that's what you'd want to say if you were trying to get off of it. You know, like you don't want to like spook the people. Uh, you'd you'd want to say, oh yeah, we're going to put, we're continuing doing that as like you're making plans in the background. Finally, in a distinct break from China, which has worked to suppress crypto mining and trade and trading on its mainland, Putin went on to say that everything evolves and has a right to exist. So I mean, now we've got to you know leave the land of the home home of the slave over here to you know go over to Russia for more freedom when. Uh, it comes to, but they, uh, I will say the treasury and SEC did come out recently and said about a week ago and said that uh, basically they weren't planning on, you know, outlawing Bitcoin, which was, you know, great news for the Bitcoin markets, uh, you know, as part of, you know, also what had helped you know, sustain this rally. Hey, hey Tim, uh, if you would, like I sent you a thing on uh, signal there, an article, if you want to pull this up, because uh, I think I was uh, early to the game calling out that Bitcoin uh, would turn into a one world reserve currency. And this was one of the articles I wrote uh, back in uh, July 2017, 2014, uh, where I actually did discuss, uh, you know, if Bitcoin could uh, become a one world currency, reserve currency instead of the special drawing rights at the IMF that they want to have. Uh, and uh, of course, the uh, you know, the, there's been, uh, you know, when you have a good asset, when you have assets that's solid and stable in value, the thing is like what really should be called a stable coin is, is Bitcoin, in my point of view, uh, because Bitcoin will only have a supply of 21 million. Uh, and you, you could use it, you know, on a global scale as a reserve transactional currency if you wanted to. Uh, so I saw at an early stage that Bitcoin could potentially turn into that global uh, reserve currency and take over for uh, for the United States dollar, uh, because uh, the US dollar is a flawed system. You could create unlimited amounts of it, and uh, you know when you have a system that you actually could, you know, this could be a settlement system just as much as you know SDR and and the dollar has been. Uh, that you, these uh, governments could start using it. And that's what you've seen. You know, governments have been jumping on, right, Tim, uh, into uh, into these, um, into uh, Bitcoin. So in El Salvador, you know, has made it legal tender. It's, uh, it, it seems like it's working out pretty well for them uh, right now. As El, El Salvadorians that have been involved in it uh, since the start, I think it's 30% up or something. Uh, because, you know, and a lot of other countries that are struggling with their currencies, you know, let me show you one that is really struggling. Uh, and uh, of course, this is the, the Venezuelan Boulevard, 
Okay, so this is a hyperinflated currency. This currency doesn't exist anymore, by the way. This is the Bolivar's Fuerte. 2017, it collapsed, okay? So everybody thinks that there was one hyperinflation in, in Venezuela. No, it wasn't because they had another one. Okay, so this is the new currency that just collapsed and they just started a third currency. This is the Bolivar Soberano, <laughs> okay? So uh, they all fail. You know, these fiat currencies, when you have a government that is, uh, you know, running out of line and think that they're, you know, all high and mighty. And the same thing is happening in Lebanon right now. Like it's starting to hyperinflate there as well. You know, you, you start to see numbers like, what is it, 20,000, you know, Lebanon um, pounds. And of course, Lebanon is where Venezuela was, uh, you know, five, 10 years ago. So it, it's happening everywhere. And people need, you know, something that's solid, something that they could, uh, you know, protect their wealth with. And so they will levitate towards something like Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, in my point of view. That's, of course, my opinion. But, you know, when you go and look at, you know, how always good assets win, you know, gold always won throughout history, right? It always resets back, you know, when, uh, oh, we got to start to do proper financials and accounting and suddenly, you know, gold and value in, in something, you know, just skyrockets. Uh, and, and that is the point when you wish you had, you know, either gold, silver, or Bitcoin, crypt, uh, any kind of crypto on your hand, because uh, at that point, you know, if you had your uh, dollars in the bank, you know, it'd be like Argentina, that is serial, serial defaulter and, and the devaluator the of their currency. You know what? I, I had a story. Let me tell a quick story about a friend of mine, his dad in 1987. Or 84, I forgot when it was. John Snyson and, and a quick, a and a quick was... story? Sorry, I was going to say John Snyson <laughs> and a quick story? Is that... Yeah. So, he, so he he was going to actually retire. Uh, and uh, suddenly overnight, you know, uh, he lost 75% of all of his retirement in a devaluation. Okay, so he told his son, you know, never hold Argentinian pesos. Okay, so his son thought it was smarter. He'd put US dollars in, in his Citibank account in Argentina, Okay. So what happened at that time in 2001, they had the same thing happen because uh, Citibank was regulated under the Argentinian Central Bank. Well, they took the US dollars, put it into Argentinian pesos and devalued it 75% again, okay? So yeah, money in the bank is not a good thing. Uh, and a lot of times you need to be prepared for that. And so having these assets, you know, is paramount. Sorry for the rant there, Tim, but I thought it would little tidbit information no that was actually shorter than i thought i was going to be well hopefully that's not what she said but anyways uh <laughs> now i forgot what i was actually going to say but you have uh after el salvador now brazil looks to accept uh potentially bitcoin as currency so everyone's like oh it's just brazil or sorry not oh it's just el salvador little country you know it's, it's like they're always like finding some reason to try to like mock this and now you've got you know brazil you know one of the largest uh, economies in the world that is now talking about you know potentially accepting bitcoin as legal tender so for me you know that's a huge type move going on uh i don't have i don't not subscribe to barons but they did have a uh, article from yesterday called bitcoin could cause another financial crisis well that's funny because i mean i'm not aware of the first financial crisis that they caused uh boa official warns uh and it's BOE, sorry, BOE would be the Bank of England. And I mean, it's just so crazy that, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about stable coins in a little bit, or maybe we'll talk about it now. But I mean, essentially with, they're worried about, oh my God, the stable coins are such a big 
uh, you know, huge, you know, whatever, however many billions. And I don't know, maybe Arthur can look it up like a hundred something like, I don't know, whatever. I forgot the market cap. Actually, let me just look it up right now. I mean, Tether is a market cap of $69 billion. And obviously you've got, you know, USDC, which is, you know, $32 billion. And, you know, there's Binance USD, 13 billion. So these are, you know, pretty massive in scope, but, you know, nothing compared to uh, the currency. But, you know, even if they are Ponzi schemes and even if they are, uh, you know, don't hold all the assets that they say they have. I mean, you know what they do hold? They probably hold a lot more effing dollars than, you know, what's is reserved in a bank account. And they're like, oh, we need to make sure that they're reserved one-to-one. Well, they should be, be made sure that they're held in one-to-one reserve. Until a thousand. I don't, I don't <laughs> think like- it matters. It's, it's based on confidence. Everyone was told what Tether was supposed to be and it was supposed to be back to one, one-to-one. Then it found out it wasn't back one-to-one. Then they found out it wasn't back by only dollars. Then it's a basket of assets. And yet the thing still trades on the exchanges one for one for the dollar because everybody just believes and accepts. So well, yeah, it's the same as the US dollar yeah. keeps its value, right? Like exactly. everybody trusts that it has yes. value. Yeah, I mean it's oh, a little bit it's a little bit different because I mean they're put it they're investing some of the money supposedly into bonds. Uh, you know, if we believe them. Oh, so believe got- me, there's there's a lot more to that. I, I listened to some uh videos lately that are it's actually horrible it's probably invested a lot in china probably in some uh our mbs's you know uh uh residential mortgage-backed securities and evergrande and all that fun stuff it's it's in so many terrible assets uh tether you know back in the day when i looked at their white paper you know they had two bank accounts that held uh was the 30 something billion how long, how long before white papers get canceled up oh, that's racist <laughs> can't call them white papers i mean that's probably the next thing that's gonna go rainbow papers how about that rainbow papers yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah no but anyways so you know like that. holding all your assets so tether hold held all their assets in two bank accounts like who in their brightest mind would hold all their assets in bank accounts anyways but so so it just comes back to again as what uh, you know uh, Arthur said here it all comes back to you know the belief and trust that it has value and that you could use it as a medium of exchange and of course tether is just being used as an intermediary on these centralized exchanges to go from uh, you know uh, different cryptos uh, and it's not really like there's not a lot of but I'm surprised that so many people hold tether I, I find it pretty scary that they actually hold tether yeah, but no. uh, yeah <laughs> Well, yeah, it's it's just fit, it's fitting at sixty nine billion because you know you can get screwed both ways. Tax I guess, purposes you know, it in the long run, but it's at the volume though twenty four hour volume is almost seventy seven billion, and the market cap is sixty nine billion. So obviously, it's used as a conduit to trade back and forth. Yeah. I've never owned any tether, never owned any stable coin. Uh, I'm just you know stacking. Uh, you know, I give crypto out here and there to people. You know, help me out and stuff like that. But you know, other than that, you know, I'm not really trading or selling, and I'm just you know accumulating more that i like um and sorry sorry, what we're saying arthur Uh, i've got some numbers for the whole stable coin sector all stable coins is 112 billion dollar market cap representing a little bit under five percent of the total market cap of all cryptocurrency and uh that's with a trade volume of like 140 billion dollars a day that's all all dollar coins yeah, and we do have some of uh, you know some of our listeners who did you know on the Discord were asking questions, and if you guys want to get asked, you know either ask the question in the Discord or ask the question through email, you know is the best way you know to join our email list. But you know, uh, free Nilly asked, 
thoughts on Binance and if it will go the way of BitMEX. And then I believe there was another one that asked about uh, stable coins uh, because essentially, and there was a video that was associated with this as well. And basically what the video was alleging is that uh, you've got, you know, a huge amount of the trading pairs are, uh, you know, basically Binance is, you know, a gigantic, uh, you know, 800 pound, you know, gorilla in the, you know, in the, you know, cryptocurrency exchange market. And, and most of their trades are done through Tether. But if Tether ends up, you know, being a scam, you know, allegedly, I'm not saying it is a scam, but if it is, a, if it ends up being a scam, mainly because I don't want to get sued, not that I don't think it's a scam, I've never owned it. But, uh, you know, I, 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 there's nothing that I, you know, there's nothing I could see, like, if there was a way where you could trade from Bitcoin, into tether and it's not taxable like maybe a reason to do something like that like short term but you know the fact that it is a taxable event at least in america and and it can be tracked or traced like i really don't see any reason why when like the main thing i'm trying to hedge against is the dollar not trying to get into something that represents the dollar uh that has other claims of claims and and really the, the dollar all it is is it's like an iou that's backed by another iou which is uh you know it's a it's like a claim on a Treasury bill, bond, or note, which oh, is backed like by nothing. Claim, which is men with guns. Yeah, I mean that's what uh, you know. Paul Krugman's like, oh, the beauty of the dollar is that you know if you don't pay your taxes, like men with guns will come to your house and kill you. Uh, which you know sounds about right for the guy that has a blog uh, that's entitled "The Conscience of a Liberal," which is a playoff Barry Goldwater. Hey, he's behind the one trillion dollar coin. Yeah, I mean that should then mean that the that platinum's new price should be a trillion dollars an ounce then in that case, and then all the other metals should go up as well. And then just like an and a little story, I bought some physical silver about a week and a half ago, just got it delivered, and I think uh, it was like a 2021 like type one uh, silver eagle, and I think I paid thirty one dollars for it like a week and a half ago, and now well now they're actually like sold out. This one site that's like one of the largest sites probably in the world to get gold and silver. And if you did want, if they did have it, it would be $40. So, you know, that kind of, you know, eventually we're going to get to another article. Maybe we can just do it now where it says something like, uh, let's see, if something simply isn't available, does that make it cheap or expensive? And sort of like another little anecdotal story is, uh, and I think I may have mentioned this before, but I bought a generator almost exactly a year ago, like to, to the day I bought a generator. Then I bought the exact same one in June. Uh, and the price went from like 560 to 780. And now the last time I checked, the price was 1200. Uh, and then some other guy like commented, uh, I think on like a telegram channel, he's like, Oh, well, I've got a, like, like pretty much the gold standard of these is a, like a Honda 2000 or 2500, something like that. Uh, it's like, like sort of like the best one. And I didn't get that one. I got one that was comparable to that. And, uh, someone's like, Oh, well the Honda, their prices haven't risen at all. He's like, but you know, they don't have any in the stores, but you know, to your point though, they don't, you know, the price hasn't gone up and you're over here, like fear mongering the price hasn't gone up. And like, the point is, okay, the price hasn't gone up. But there's none in the fucking stores and you can't buy them like so like to, like, does it, like does it matter that the price hasn't gone up maybe the price should have gone up so that way you know people that have resources could then do that and, well and, you know, to, yeah they're sold what out the, what because you didn't do- raise the price that's how markets <laughs> and, and what they're you doing is demand yeah yeah what they're doing is they basically have these schemes they probably are starting to do uh honda civic etfs you know, so you could buy a Honda, but you think you own it, but they sold 50 Honda Civics to one. Yeah, I don't know. But we're talking about generators, not, not, Honda, not Honda Civics. But somebody, you watching like too much Fast and the Furious or something over there? I remember that was like, I, oh, I that, love Fast and Furious. 
remember I thought that was a cool car when I was like Seriously. 15. I, I was hey, like 15. I used to have a Ford RS Turbo. You should have seen my Ford Escort RS Turbo. It was gangster. Yeah, and then but you know, getting back to the the Robobank article, is how you pronounce it? Robobank. Um, I don't know. Ro- Robobank. Rebelbunk. If something simply isn't available, does that make it cheap or expensive? And, you know, that's what I think what we're, we're on pace to see, you know, as you know, you've got like all these, you know, container ship shortages, and then you've got, you know, people at the ports who then, you know, can't even, uh, you know, unload the stuff. Then you've got truckers who are there waiting. And then there's, you know, also shortages of truckers nationwide. And you see stories where they're, you know, some truckers are getting paid like ridiculous amounts. And, and the thing is, I mean, I would not want to be a trucker. I, give those guys, you know, all the credits of the world. And especially since I started getting a travel trailer and having to like back things in my, myself. And I'm like, Oh man, this sucks. Like I, uh, Hey, get, to, uh, get to, you know, listen to a lot of stuff. I would just crank my YouTube on and like, or, uh, Odyssey and just, uh, you know, get some good information. That's what a lot of truckers do, by the way. A lot of them are very smart that I met. Uh, but anyways, there's also another one here for, from around the world. You know, Britain's uh, biggest container port is uh, so congested that they're actually considering, you know, actually turning ships away. And I think, Tim, didn't you, because of the crises and, and bankruptcies and so on, wasn't there a ship? Where was that? You know, you sent an article like, uh, was it three, four days ago or something about people stranded on a on a container ship? Uh, they just like basically the company had gone bankrupt or something, and they just left their, uh, you know, all the uh, like the the crew on the ship. I think it was right, Tim. Yeah, I guess what has happened is like nation, like around the world, you've got like over a thousand different crew members around the world are stranded on these ships, and so that's like one thing I didn't even think of. So like, what happens is like when you when they can't like afford to. I guess, you know, pay because, you know, there's like all these delays and they're probably running off, you know, thin margins and maybe they didn't get like insurance for this type of thing. And then all of a sudden they just like abandoned their ship. But the crew members, in order for there's some sort of like maritime law where for, in order for them to get paid or go through like the whole bankruptcy process or, you know, salvaging, you know, the basically, you know, selling off the ship and selling off the different assets. And then they would be a claim as you know, creditors to, uh, you know, getting their salaries that they have to stay on the ship. And so I guess you have like over like a thousand people worldwide that are just like stuck on, on ships around the world. And this is something that I had like no idea that was really going on or hadn't thought of, but apparently it's like a big Thank you, governments. Yeah. It's like a big humanitarian crisis. So you've got people who, you know, now they, they don't, they don't have any food and they've got it. Hey, you know, hopefully they're, they're double back still, Tim. So it's fine. And that's, you know, part of the problem as well is that like, different jurisdictions only accept yeah. certain certain jabs. And if you don't get, you know, then, you know, trying to get in and out of all these places, it's just like a logistical nightmare. And so, you know, that's, I guess, one of the hidden signs that you don't necessarily see. But I guess, you know, getting back to, uh, you know, the, the cryptocurrency markets, we've got, um, you know, Treasury official warns, you know, using stable coins for payment raises a whole set of issues. Uh, I mean, the main issue is that, you know, basically it's going to be, you know, a jihad attack against the dollar, which was actually a comment that the uh, who's, who's the guy, the head of uh, Citadel who recently came under fire, Ken Griffin. So as Ken Griffin came out recently and said that it's like a jihad attack against the dollar, which, you know, I think he's actually, you know, kind of right in that that uh, uh, in that regard. Uh, the, you know, I think we see the new uh, the the new uh, head of the Federal Reserve there, that lady. She's she's under Treasury. At least she's going to go through the 
to the Fed somewhere and sit on. That's uh, the office of that's the office of comp control currency, where the lady, you know, uh, basically is like a hardcore like Leninist Marxist who uh, thinks that banking as we know it should be, you know, totally changed. Which I agree, but unfortunately, you know, they're basically going to try to change it for like the worst way possible. Uh, yeah, they want to nationalize this in the CBDC, yeah. Yeah, and you've got you know the IMF warning: stable coins could pose contagion risks to global financial system. So you know that's really cute that they're you know and 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 who knows maybe like the setup is you know once you get uh you know all the different Fed coins around the world set up and like the digital SDRs that then maybe then collapse it and then have regulation that says you need to then make sure that everyone uses these you know approved ones or the Mark Zuckerberg one. Um, but you know, in, in essence, you know, I think it shows that they're scared because, you know, first they ignore you, then they fight you, then, you, then you win and we're in like the fighting stage. And it's almost like they have to accept this in order to, uh, you know, preserve their own, you know, you know, basically ass at this point, because, you know, they, they've got to, you know, basically get in on it in order to, uh, you know, be, I gotta be in it to win it. And you've got, you know, Yahoo finance over here saying that Bitcoin hundred thousand dollars, maybe conservative analyst says, um, well, you know, Jamie Dimon still well, thinks it's worthless. Yeah. Well, let me actually point out. Okay, so my, I still have my prediction of 150 to 250. Okay, let me tell you what needs to happen for that to actually become a reality. I, I, just, I just crushed some numbers as we're on the show here, and uh, what we're looking at for that to happen for Bitcoin. So it's an approximate. I think $2.82 trillion in market cap uh, Bitcoin needs. And then you get 150,000 US dollar price of Bitcoin. So it's not out of the, not out of here, it happened. And then if you go and look at the chart, there's actually a four year cycle, you know, that I've been following. Uh, and it's after like from every happening, you know, the, it was 2013, you know, it peaked out in the Cypriotic financial crisis when, uh, that kind of like led into this whole thing and, and it ran up the price. Then in 20, uh, sorry, in 2017 and uh, uh, November. And uh, by the way, it's November, December, you know, like late November, early December, these peaks. And you can check it out too uh, if you want to, Tim, just to confirm them. Uh, but, you know, if, if this is to happen, it could very well happen that we will see a price of 150, 250 uh, suddenly because the, the run up, during those, if you go and look at the charts, the run-up during those uh, times, you know, was started in uh, late October, early November. That's when the run-up really started. So I don't know, it, it could happen. And, and it could also be involved that October is a terrible month for the financial markets in general. And then if it's, uh, you know, uh, combines with, you know, some issues because of the tapering talk and all this fun stuff at the Federal Reserve that really puts pressure on to, you know, potentially selling some stocks and and uh, the actual uh, you know market starting to come down. Uh, I, I don't know yet though. Markets will come down properly yet. Uh, it it could be could be a while soon, but it's actually starting to gather some steam. Uh, and I'm I'm trying to look up the yeah. Here we go. Um, this is a, so there's a chart called the bonds uh, don't have your back and, and bond yields and uh, and stocks mostly rose and fell together after 2000, uh, but not recently. So what we're uh, like, what I'm looking at is the 200 day correlation between one day changes in S S&P 500 and the 10 year uh, treasury yield. And what you actually see is 
the downward trend now, you know, what's happened towards 2008, it's starting to develop uh, that, uh, you know, 200 day correlation between uh, the S&P 500 and the 10 year treasury. So that is actually starting to happen uh, right now and, and could develop. Uh, this This is actually in our Discord, in our general chat. I, I posted this um, uh, posted this uh, chart, by the way, and you're seeing it starting to develop and, and kind of uh, potentially developing into, like it looks like it was like 2000 and, you know, five, six, you know, when it just run up and then peaked up again, and then suddenly it started to just deteriorate, and then you got the 2008 crisis. So, yeah, it, it could definitely happen very soon again. Who, who knows what's going to happen here? But there's a lot of red flags uh, in the markets. There's a lot of out of hand price earnings ratios. Uh, but I don't think we're there yet. Uh, but it might, you know, maybe it'll uh, be the. Uh, the climax will be in, in November and December again for, for Bitcoin. And then maybe there's a financial crisis baked into that. Who knows? Well, we'll see, Tim. It, it'll be very interesting, at least uh, the next couple of months now, that's for sure. All right. So you, all the ladies out there, you got John talking about climaxing. and uh, But here we've got the Bitcoin stock to flow model chart. Uh, and it basically shows that right now through like the stock to flow that you know, you'd expect it to be closer to like a hundred thousand dollars right now. And, and we are moving up there. I mean, I've been telling people, I thought I was going to be over a hundred thousand dollars, you know, years ago, uh, back when that sounded like really crazy. And now, right before this, I was on a, like the four year chart. I really didn't, I haven't looked at this before, this particular chart before. So, uh, I don't know if you guys can explain it better, but I mean, I'll probably need to go back, but it's something like you choose a day in the chart. For example, we would take July 7th, 2021, the end of day price on that day was 36,372. Now we divide that number by the end of day price on July 7th, 2017, which was before years before that. The end of day price on that day was 2,598. When we divide 36,372 by 2,598, we get 14, which is why there is a 14 showing where you hover over the July 7th, 2021 chart. Now, do you guys know what that 14 then uh, then represents? Uh, I don't know if you, if you guys have seen this before. I was just trying to look up. It means you know, the price I, is 14 yeah. times higher than what it was exactly four years ago. It's just taking the price four years ago and the price today and then dividing them into each other, I'm pretty sure. Okay, and you can kind of you know see, and it looks like it sort of peaks. It looks like they, they kind of peak out of like, so the one, uh, you know, it kind of peaked out of like a 55, the other one sort of peaked out around like- I think uh, it's trying to prove some sort of cyclical nature to Bitcoin. And that it, it does revolve around a four-year cycle driven by the halvings. That because because there's a competing theory that the cycles lengthen. If you actually look from bottom to top, each four-year cycle, as they call it, is actually stretching out and taking more time to complete. So it could but, be like common core math four years. Well, four years now is actually yeah, five years. So it's, it's like yeah. I think like Benjamin Cohen's like one of the big <laughs> people who uh, or I think that's his name. was one of the guys who. I know it was uh, you know, subscribing to that belief or maybe came up with it. Uh, but I don't like talking about things I don't really know about. And I didn't study that chart beforehand. So right now I'd be talking out of my butt. And so luckily Arthur Diamond Hands does know what he's talking about on that because he saved us there because I didn't know. But uh, but anyways, you know, I am very, very bullish where things are going. Now you've got the U.S. overtaking China. China to become the world's largest Bitcoin mining hub report finds. And so I went on to see, you know, where we're at from like a hash rate standpoint, uh, which is, you know, basically like the amount of guesses, uh, you know, firepower on the Bitcoin network. Smoke? 
yeah, that'd be that'd be hashish. Uh, and really, you know, we're kind of back to like almost levels where we're at, you know, about like a year ago. I mean, also levels that we're at, I guess, you know, closer to, you know, April, May time frame. Uh, you know, there was, you know, a, a bit, you know, it did go up a lot, you know, right before oh, yeah. things got banned. There? Yeah, that was the that Bitcoin was China turning off their yeah. power and everyone was freaking out. Bitcoin death spiral, all this stuff. It recovered. It's fine. I did go way. It did go. It did go way down. It did go way down. It went from one ninety seven x a hash down to sixty nine or sixty eight x a hash. And now today, yeah. I'm just trying to eyeball this, but like today, I'm trying to get up to the other number one fifty five x a hash. Yeah. Also, what I tried to explain to people is that uh, a lot of these mining pools too. It's uh, it's different mining facilities all around the world that are pooled into Chinese, like yeah, let's say the ant pool and and so on. So a lot of people think that, oh, there's physical data centers clonked down in China with all these because they're Chinese, like an ant pool is Chinese. No, it's actually like a whole bunch of ant miners from all around the world that are mining together. So they're bigger, you know, they could get more uh, Bitcoin out of the out of the algorithm, of course, because they got, have higher hashing power as a group and not as, you know, individual miners. So that is also another big thing that, you know, people kind of don't even talk about too much that I, you know, I've been, I've been around since 2012 with Bitcoin. And I, I know a lot of different guys that are mining Bitcoin on, on both small to like bigger scales here in Manitoba. There's a lot. John's of been around here. John's been around and, miners. No, just kidding. <laughs> Bitcoin, yeah, Bitcoin, Bitcoin miners. mining, you know, like they're just chewing, chewing straws and, you know, having some, uh, Having some uh, dandelion wine, you know, it's good times. I know all these right, can be, right, you know, I know, right. I know these can be like boring subjects for people. So you know, trying to you know liven it up. Uh, but yeah, you know, mo- you know, there's a couple more things I want to talk about before we wrap yeah, things can, up. Tim, Tim, can I just quickly uh, show something? Like it'll it'll be like uh, one minute. I'll do very quick because I want to go back to the point where I showed the cycles. Uh, is it possible that I could share the screen? But anyway, so so we're gonna look at here, like so the the top of the price. This is 2013, okay? So top of the price was about like, uh, and I think it's end of the day so it was 1151.7 US dollars, and that topped out in on the third of December uh, of 2013. Okay, then we're gonna move it. We're gonna go to the 2017. Uh, you know, Bitcoin run up, and the peak of the price was on the 15th of December 2017. Okay, and then we go and look at uh, the 2021. You know, like look at the scale here. Let's see where, let's see where October is. Okay, so October, November, it even dropped down here in 2017, and then it just skyrocketed, and it really like the bottom was around November, mid-November. So it only took like a month for it to, it to run up. And and where where is this gonna be? You know, like look at the look at the grand scheme of things. You know, you go back to 2017 here. They look pretty small and abysmal, but where, where are we going to be? I don't know. It'll be very interesting. Anyway, so that that was uh, just a quick, uh, quick show of uh, what I was talking about. Yeah, I've seen people talk about that too. They they ask, uh, does Bitcoin have a seasonality to it, and does it benefit from the Halloween effect? And and that is this this huge rise from the end of October to January first. But then and there's it, a it super appears, cycle. Yes. Super cycle every four years. 
Right. Yeah. There's the seasonality that happens yearly, and then With there's the a four-year cycle of Bitcoin yeah. on top of that. Yes. Yep. Already, but uh, yeah, I've got to get going. So I think like the last thing I just wanted to mention is there is an article where you know everyone's favorite guy, Larry Summers, and it's talking about how Larry Summers. Larry Summers slams woke Fed losing control of inflation. And so you know, we have a generation of central bankers who are defining themselves by their wokeness. Summers, who is now a professor at Harvard University, said, I think he was a former president of Harvard. Uh, I think he was also a treasury secretary uh, you know, in the Clinton regime when uh, basically yeah. he's one of the guys who helped separate Glass-Steagall and not to say that obviously I, I think that like George W. Bush is a war criminal, but, you know, he got sort of blamed for the things that the Clinton regime was doing. Again, I don't like either one yeah. of them. Just sort of He, calling he out. also called Raghur Murjan a Luddite uh, when he was warning about the mortgage-backed security crisis back in uh, 2007. Yeah, yep. And, yeah, and also his, you know, his good friend, you know, Robert Rubin, you know, they were also part and parcel with, you know, basically allowing like Citigroup to become what it is today. Because in the olden days, you couldn't have, you couldn't be an investment bank and a real retail bank. And, th and then basically, you know, City went and bought this and after the fact, you know, lobbied. And then, then I believe uh, then Robert Rubin went on to then go work for Citibank and then got paid a shitload of money, uh, you know, basically as a big political payoff. And I think he left in like 2009. Uh, I'm doing all this off the, off the top of my head. I don't really. Uh, it looks yeah, like he deflated. Looks like Larry Summer deflated quite the bit. Yeah, yeah. He yeah, didn't yeah. end up like uh, Jabba over there at Biz. Well, maybe maybe the skyrocketing food prices. You know, he had to cut back over there. Uh, but yeah, he looks a lot thinner <laughs> thinner today than he did from this other picture on screen for yeah. anyone watching. But uh, also says we're in more danger than we've been during my career of losing control of inflation in the U.S. We've gone even further. They've gone even further, losing it in Britain. And I think we have some risk in Europe. If these actions come, they're going to be very shocking and very painful in financial markets. And he's talking about, you know, who has supported fiscal expansion as a means of promoting macroeconomic stability. So, I mean, on one hand, you know, he's the guy that's like basically helped, you know, author all this stuff, you know, guys like him and Alan Greenspan, and now they're bitching about it, you know, you know, what's yeah. come about the things that they helped create. And the I think the last thing I want to mention is that these guys, you know, they're, I mean, we didn't even get into like how the Federal Reserve has got their whole ethics scandal because they were trading, you know, stocks that they uh, then had the Federal Reserve then buy, you know, and, and why is the Federal Reserve, and I, and I did mention this, you know, over a year ago uh, when I was on Free Talk Live, but, you know, why is the Federal Reserve buying up Apple stock? Why are they buying one of the richest, most valuable companies in the world? Like, they're, like, like they're the ones who need help and getting bailed out. Like, I didn't really see, you know, Apple, you know, suffering you know, too badly, you know, in the past year. And then, but the problem is it shifts the attention and it's sort of almost like controlled opposition where they're now they're making the opposition to the Fed. The fact that you've got, you know, corrupt governors going and trading for their own accounts and then buying and then making millions of dollars, you know, trying to do their best, you know, Nancy Pelosi, I guess, impression. And I did see a meme the other day. It goes, and I posted on my Instagram, it goes, it goes on your left, we have George Soros. And on the right, we have the world's most successful hedge fund trader. And it was, and it was Soros standing next to Nancy Pelosi. So I know a lot of you guys probably would have thought that was funny if you're following me on Instagram. But the thing is that it diverts the attention from the fact that there shouldn't even be a Federal Reserve and the fact that we're getting absolutely screwed into you know making the argument be like, oh, well, these guys are corrupt and they're you know trading on their own accounts when the fact is they shouldn't. It just diverts it from ending the Fed 
and which is even, uh, you know, and then people want to divert that to auditing the Fed, like, oh, yeah, the Fed's going to audit themselves. And even now they're like, oh, well, don't worry, we're going to have a commission at the Fed to go study our own insider trading and, you know, we'll get back to you. So, you know, they're the you know judge, jury, executioner on their own uh, financial uh, malfeasance. Well, it's, it's like they're, you know, like the central banks have been buying up all the assets. You know, I, I, I had an article, I think, three years ago where I said, you know, the Federal Reserve will, uh, you know, own everything to nothing. And, and sure enough, like they're on that trajectory. You know, in 2008, there was a massive rise in balance sheets, but the balance sheet, you know, as a part of GDP only rose uh, to 17, uh, 17.61% back in 2008. Then it continued for a while. And after the crisis, it was 45.25%, which is pretty insane. Like, so global central banks balance, and this is tracking the top 77 in the world. You know, we had 45.25. And right now we're at 63.36%. So over 50% of the total GDP in the world is central banks balance, like is on central banks balance sheet. So kind of particular but they could keep on going the scam it's like the one trillion dollar coin scam it's the same as quantitative easing you just you know taking terrible assets of the bank's balance sheet then creating reserve asset accounts you know increasing the reserve asset accounts at the at the federal reserve so they could go and leverage and do some margin trading and and you know rack up margin debt and and, and other uh, things right so it's just a big scam but it's it's just like baffles me like how fast this is going to like it's 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 and because now of course we're, we're so much faster because now we got high frequency trading we got everything on you know everything is happening at lightning speed so it's not like you know back in the old they had freaking ticker tapes right <laughs> you had to follow for for the traders and so on so uh, i think like a crisis could develop like you had multiple flash crashes you know where in one day and that's happened to bitcoin and other things too right because everything is electronic it just happens quickly and then you know goes back up but we could have like a massive financial cards that could develop like overnight and, and, i was actually working for the company that they you know, initially tried to blame the flash crash on uh so i mean just as like a, i mean and it was you know complete crap it wasn't you know it had nothing to do with the company that i was working for at the time but I mean, if you go, it was Waddell and Reed and now they got bought by LPL. And it's funny because I went from Waddell and Reed to LPL and Waddell and Reed's like, oh no, you're making a terrible decision. We're in acquisition mode. And they ended up getting bought by LPL, but I'd already left LPL by the time that happened. And here we are, FINRA margin debt. Uh, you can see that, you know, trillion. I mean, it's all, yeah, basically it's like a trillion, 900, 911. So that's funny. Nine, 900, <laughs> 911. Yeah. 911. You know, one on the margin. Yeah. Debt, yeah there's literally. a 911 crisis in margin debt. That's for sure. You know, that, maybe that should be like a future, uh, a future headline. Uh, not, not for Definitely this, not, not for this video because we're not, you know, focusing on that. But I mean, there's so much air under this market because I mean, I mean, once, you know, the margin debt, you know, all of a sudden you got to make a margin call. So if things go down a little yeah. bit, then you got to make a margin call. And then you've got to then sell assets to then make that call, which then begets more selling and more selling and more selling, which then is the excuse for the Fed to come in and, you know, save the day and start, you know, printing money and again. My, yeah. And my thoughts on that is that, you know, Bitcoin and silver and gold will go rapidly down, but look at what happened in November of 2017, November 11th, like it just plummeted and then suddenly it just skyrocketed, right? Because then people are, people are going from panic and margin calls into like, where can I save my portfolio? you know, from totally collapsing. And then they're trying to find solid assets. And yep. that's what could happen. 
No, and I think you know. I want to thank you guys for you know being on the show today. Well, I don't. I guess I don't need to thank John because it's oh, part of the Tim and John thanks, show. Tim. I really appreciate it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it was it was great to do another show. We're trying to do, basically have these coming out on Monday, and you know, thank you to Arthur Diamond Hands for making it all happen behind the scenes. And part of that behind the scenes is getting on our email list. So if you guys go to timandjohnshow.com, that's weird. There was like a weird warning on it trying to say like, oh, this site's not secure and it could be hacking or stuff. So who knows? Maybe it means we're like over the target. And so they're trying to put those warnings on. But, you know, you can also go to the, the Liberty Advisor Show and then that gets you to the Tim and John Show as well. And both email, email lists are the same. So, you know, probably in the comments, we'll have, you know, how you guys can sign up for the email list. And then we'll, we're getting more diligent about sending these out, you know, via email. Uh, because, you know, obviously with, you know, YouTube in the state of affairs it's at where it has not moved the needle at all in like several, several months. I mean, probably like five, six, seven, eight, nine months hasn't moved at all. So uh, obviously that's not the best place to come find us because we're not really good at self-censoring. We're not trying to self-censor. Uh, I mean, sometimes I say jab instead of the other thing, but uh, you know what? You know, there's a reason why we're, we're, our channel is not growing on there. And it's because, you know, we're actually ah. talking about real things that the system doesn't want you talking about. So head over to timandjohnshow.com. Follow the links down below to basically see where you guys can find us. And again, Discord, email list, Odyssey, BitChute, uh, you know, and maybe just for shits and giggles, you know, maybe if you're not subscribed, let us know like, hey, I subscribed today. And then so, you know, it'd be great if we could find like 30 of you, 30 of you to say out there who are watching this, who maybe aren't subscribed to YouTube, say, hey, I subscribed today. Then we can see, oh, that's funny. We're still at 2,970 and hasn't moved at all. So if you guys are listening to this, just as like a thought experiment, just to see exactly what's going on. But anyways, thank you guys so much for listening. We love our fans, our viewers. And uh, anyways, I'm Tippett Show with the Liberty Advisor, thelibertyadvisor.com. You can get all the links to everything we just talked about through there and the shows and everything. Uh, John is the economictruth.org. And then Arthur Diamond Hands, uh, you know, you can find him in the Discord. You can find it. Where, 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 where do you want people to find you? In the Discord and uh, Instagram? What, what are you doing these days? Discord and float social media. I'm a floater. Floater. Yeah, floater. we're all we're all floaters. Yep. So I'm, I'm oh, float- he's a floater. But anyways, thank you guys so much. This is Tim and John Show 45. Uh, we're going to try to listen to these on Mondays to keep it consistent. I've got the Tim and Yoshi Show that was just released as well. If you guys hadn't checked that out. And we also had last week the legend himself, Joe Griffin. So make sure you guys check that out. Peace out and hope you guys have, well, I guess not have a great weekend because you'll be listening to this on Monday. I hope you have a great start to your week and hopefully Bitcoin is above 60,000 again when uh, you guys are watching and listening to this. Take care.